0: San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. State Senator Scott Wiener has become a target of QAnon followers. They're the ones who believe the blatantly false conspiracy theory that shadowy Democratic pedophiles are out to get President Trump. Senator Wiener has weathered a deluge of online harassment and has received hundreds of death threats, and he's here to set the record straight. He's also talking about California's wildfires and climate crisis— its housing shortage, and his plans to keep pushing for a safe injection site in San Francisco. His challenger in the November election, Jackie Fielder, will be on the show soon, too. Senator Scott Wiener, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: it's kind of a weird day as we're recording. The sky in San Francisco is a creepy, dark orange color. People say it feels like we're living on Mars or something. There's fires raging around California and the West Coast, and it feels like the apocalypse. As a California leader, what do you think this is telling us? Um, What do we need to do about this? And is it too late or can we still turn this corner?
1: It's never too late. (laughs) Um. Uh, Mother Nature is telling us uh, that we have been abusing her, that we have been abusing this planet uh, for far too long, and that we as a society and as a world are not taking the warning signs seriously. And so uh, we are uh, strangling the planet, burning the planet up. Um, We have to uh, phase out quickly uh, fossil fuels. Uh, We need to move towards a 100% clean economy, not just in the U.S uh, but around the world, uh, or we're going to see more and more of these disasters and California needs to lead the way. And honestly, we've not been leading the way and we, that needs to change.
0: Why haven't we been since, um, Democrats and progressives have control over the state and the governors and environmentalists, and still this keeps happening worse and worse every year.
1: Um, well, I wouldn't say progressives have control over the state, uh, the democratic party does, okay. and we are, we are a very diverse party. That's true. Um, and uh, we have, you know, progressives. We have moderates. We have a whole spectrum. And uh, and and so uh, it's been. We have to be clear. We have passed some landmark uh, climate legislation, uh, and we particularly we're doing very well in turning our grid to zero carbon, having mm-hmm. a one hundred percent renewable grid. We are ahead of schedule to get to a one hundred percent renewable electric grid. Uh, the problem is that's only one piece of our carbon emissions. Uh, the, almost half of our carbon emissions come from cars, people driving, uh, and because uh, we're not moving uh, quickly enough uh, to uh, zero emission vehicles, including making sure low income people can drive zero emission vehicles, and because we continue to encourage sprawl development in California because we don't allow enough density near the jobs and transit. Uh, we're pushing people into long commutes. Um, so we are losing ground uh, in, in, our, in our quest to end carbon emissions in California.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the legislature session ended last week with kind of more of a whimper than a bang. Um, how did you feel about the way it went? There were so many major issues and some things passed, but a lot didn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, this year for the legislature, this has been, it's been a rough year. We, you know, we had lost two months uh, when the pandemic and shelter in place started in March. And then we had some stops and starts, but uh, to be honest, uh, given uh, how tumultuous we had at the end of session, our 10, of, 10 out of our 11 Republicans in the Senate decided to hang out inside without masks and one of them had COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been tumultuous in many ways, uh, but it's actually surprising to me how much um, we were able to get done in terms of our budget, uh, where um, we have at least for now preserved uh, education and safety net services, um, where we passed some strong uh, criminal justice reform uh, legislation. We passed um, incredibly strong uh, family leave uh, legislation. Uh, there we, we got a lot of good stuff done. This year, very strong mental health and addiction treatment legislation, some of which I uh, was able to do um and 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 so forth uh with that said uh we've we many bills uh we had to dramatically reduce our bill load uh and so that meant a lot of priorities didn't happen and we had an epic failure at the end of session around housing uh so we just got to get right back up in the saddle the legislature goes back in session in, in fewer than 90 days so we're going to get ready for that and just start this marathon all over again
0: Mm -hmm. And speaking of housing, you've repeatedly tried to um, pass legislation related to building more housing near transit and haven't succeeded. Um, Why do you think that is and where are you going to go from here on the housing front?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been able to get some good legislation through in the last few years. I I was able to pass uh, SB 35, which is a very powerful housing streamlining law that as we speak is streamlining almost 2000 units of affordable housing just in San Francisco. And it's forcing some very uh, wealthy exclusionary communities around the state to allow more housing, including affordable housing. Uh, and, we, and recently, um, one of the major nonprofit affordable housing developers told us that because of SB 35, its average approval time has dropped from seven years to four months. Oh, wow. um, we were also able to get through legislation to completely restructure how California sets housing goals uh, for cities. Uh, which is resulting in about tripling of the goals overall, which will have a lot of ramifications in terms of streamlining new construction. Uh, and some of the wealthiest communities like a Beverly Hills um, saw their uh, housing allocations go up by exponentially. Um, so we, the legislature has done a lot of great work around um, in-law units or ADUs uh, to close the loopholes and make it easier and easier for them to happen. And we have put teeth into existing accountability, housing accountability laws for cities so that cities have to follow their own rules and can't break their own rules. So there's been a lot of good work done, uh, funding as well, billions of dollars in new funding for affordable housing. But there's a lot more to do and we have not done what we need to do on zoning reform. That's what SB50 was, there was another bill this year. Um, A a large majority of California is zoned only for single family homes. That means it's illegal even to build a duplex or a triplex, let alone something bigger. And that creates a math problem, for filling our multi-million home deficit. And it also means that around transit and where the jobs are, which is where you wanna put housing as a matter of climate sustainability, we often make it impossible to put new housing there. And so we're gonna keep fighting that fight. It's really hard because it is a significant departure in terms of how we've done land use and housing in California. We came very close this year to getting it out of the Senate and we're gonna keep fighting next year. Mm
0: Another issue you've been pushing for a few years, but that has not uh, made it through is the safe injection site. Um, You would grant uh, state approval for San Francisco to pilot one of those where people who are addicted to drugs can use them under supervision. Um, Why has that failed? Um, And again, my question is in a liberal state, why are things like this so hard?
1: Yeah, and we've gotten some good mental health work done. We have a big mental health addiction treatment bill. Uh, on the governor's desk now to force insurance companies to cover a far wider array of mental health and addiction treatments early before someone's in crisis. Um, We were able to uh, increase resources for early intervention, mental health services for teenagers and college-age students, um, and so forth. Um, In terms of safe injection sites, we were able we got that bill on the governor's desk, when governor 's desk on governor brown 's desk in two thousand and eighteen he vetoed it right. that was it 's a very hard bill. We got it out of the Senate and assembly with literally the exact number of votes we needed forty one and twenty one and in the Senate, it had gotten stuck for a year. It took me a full year to go from t- to get that twenty first vote wow. and we got it. we nailed it, and Jerry Brown vetoed it uh, with a terrible uh, veto message. Uh, that was based more on law enforcement and, and less on public health, so that was very disappointing. And so Susan Eggman and I, and, and, and she was in the lead, and I was happy to be her partner in the Senate, um, tried again, uh, and this year, because of the pandemic, it was not set for a hearing in the Public Health Committee where they dramatically reduced the number of bills, and we were all very disappointed. I have committed um, that on December, whatever the first month, December 7th, or whenever we the legislature gets sworn in, I will I will introduce a Safe Reduction Site Bill, and we're committed to it. Uh, why is it so difficult? Um, uh, it's really um, forcing people to think differently about harm reduction and what, what taking a public health approach to addiction really means. And if you look in San Francisco, it wasn't that long ago where it was an odd concept here, mm-hmm. and people were resistant, but then over time people got used to it and now it pulls off the charts. Um, I I think it just takes time and education. We have members of the legislature that were very resistant a few years ago that are less so now. In addition, for the first time, um, several members of the LA County Board of Supervisors have told me that they want LA to be included Mm. uh, in the bill. And so if we can get LA County on board, which has a quarter of our delegation, um, we will uh, have, I think, a lot more heft in terms of getting this through. It's critically important. And I, I will say I have another bill um, that I was forced to drop this year that I will reintroduce for next year, uh, which is specific to meth. Um, it was Senate Bill 888 this year. It'll be a different number next year. Um, meth is a huge problem in San Francisco and elsewhere. There's no medical treatment for meth, For at least for opioids. There are medical treatments. There are none for meth. And so there is something called contingency management, uh, where you provide financial incentives for people to take become sober, get into programs and stay there. Um, it's been wildly successful at the VA. Uh, we need to legalize it in California and have Medi-Cal cover it, so we're committed to that work as well.
0: Okay, fitting that we just heard sirens as you were discussing yes. that issue. <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm Heather Knight and I'm back with State Senator Scott Wiener. Um, You've been the recent target of major online harassment from people who believe in the crazy QAnon conspiracy theory, um, which, if I have it right, is that President Trump is being targeted by shadowy Democratic pedophiles. Um, For the record, that is obviously a lie and based on nothing. But I was wondering how if you can describe the legislation that you backed that put you in their sights and and what's happened since then.
1: Yeah, I had always known about QAnon. Uh, This is the first time I have really been in it Uh, and it's like I I refer to it as the 21st century version of the Salem witch trials where you have this mass, um, I don't even know what to call it, uh, psychosis or something where people just fall into this fantasy delusion world uh, and they're convinced that that there's this massive network of of pedophiles uh, and and it's just it's, it's crazy. Uh, so, um, I have, and the reason I have been targeted is because I'm authoring and it's on the governor's desk now, uh, legislation to end discrimination against LGBTQ young people on California's sex offender registry. It's never a popular thing to, de- to delve into, but it's important. Uh, so, right now, um, when you have situations where a teenager and uh, a college-age student are having sex with each other, and it's statutory rape, and we're not changing what's legal or illegal or what the punishment is. Um, if, the, um, if the sex is vaginal, then uh, the judge, it's statutory rape, but the judge has discretion to decide, do we put the person on or not? And they look at the facts of the case. Were they boyfriend and girlfriend? Was there any kind of predatory behavior here? Was it a large enough gap? You know, was it a six- or eight-year gap? as opposed to a one or two year gap, and they can look at those facts and decide. That's been the law since 1944. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been around for a long time. However, for LGBTQ people, um, you are mandated to go onto the sex offender registry because if, if there's any non-vaginal intercourse, so oral or anal or anything else, um, you ha- the judge must put you on the registry, no matter what the judge thinks. The judge cannot look at the facts of the case. Well, first of all, it's irrational that you're distinguishing between vaginal Mm -hmm. and other forms of intercourse. That's just irrational, period. But it deeply harms LGBTQ young people. So if you are, say, a 19-year-old and you have a 17-year-old boyfriend and you have oral sex and the 17-year-old's parents find out and they're homophobic and they call the police, the judge must put you on the registry. Uh, And and that can ruin someone's life. So what the legislation does, this is Senate Bill 145, it says, let's treat all forms of intercourse the way we have treated vaginal intercourse for 76 years, which is that the judge exercises discretion and decides. And so it is a basic quality law. Law enforcement supports it. The district attorneys support it. In fact, they wrote it. Um, the police chiefs support it. Uh, all the major civil rights groups, uh, the sex- sexual assault survivors groups all support this bill. Um, and, but QAnon, is this, there's been all this craziness on social media where they'll write articles basically saying that it's legalizing pedophilia, which is a lie, that it's reducing the punishment for pedophilia, which is a lie, that's not true, uh, and that they're not gonna be able to go in the sex offender registry, which is a lie. The judge uh, can still put someone in the registry if there was any kind of predatory or bad behavior. Um, and so, but these lies have a way of just exploding on the internet Uh, And then people see it on their Facebook feed and they sometimes believe it. And so I've probably now gotten tens of thousands of comments or messages on Instagram, Facebook, on Twitter, calling me a pedophile. Um, And uh, hundreds and hundreds of death threats. Some, I mean, just really vile. Um, Also on Reddit, there's a whole other thing happening over there. I've been doxxed twice by having my home address. Uh, posted with a suggestion that someone should come and kill me. Oh,
0: my gosh. Um, and
1: so it's, it's, it's pretty extreme, um, but I've been very public about it, and i posted a lot of the death threats on social media because I feel like I'm, I have the privilege of having a public platform, mm-hmm. and people need to know what's happening because there are a yeah. lot of people that this happens to that they don't have a public platform and they suffer in silence, and so I want to just put it out there and shed some sunlight on this toxicity.
0: Mm-hmm. And seeing all of these disgusting messages all the time, how is that affecting you? I mean, this is already a tough year mental health wise. Like, is no. this getting to you at all? or? Uh, it, it, it's
1: hard. It, it, it's hard. I mean, I work so hard and I, you know, people can agree or disagree on whatever. Um, but I, you know, I've dedicated my life to working for this community and protecting our young people and helping them, you know, have an environment where they can have great lives. And especially our LGBTQ youth who are told like every day that they're garbage, mm-hmm. you know, unless they have supportive parents. So many of them are in families or in schools where they're just getting messages every day that they are human garbage, garbage that they have no value. And so they have higher suicide rates. Um, they are more likely to become homeless. Uh, and, and, and now we're in California in 2020, we're criminalizing them. Mm-hmm. And we need to lift them up. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I went into politics because I was that kid at one point, mm-hmm. that young, the teenager, college age, gay kid in the closet. I was lucky to have supportive parents, but I know so many people who didn't, mm-hmm. uh, and, and for us to be criminal, criminalizing them like that is unacceptable. Uh, and that's why I do the work and I just stay focused on that. And that helps me get through it.
0: Mm-hmm. Does it alarm you that so many Americans believe such crazy things? And it seems like, um, I mean, you look at what our president says every day and people just buy into it all the time. And how do you get over that when you're trying to make policy and promote smart ideas?
1: It's very alarming. Um, And, you know, it's one of the reasons why we have the president we have because we had so much false information being perpetuated on social media in 2016. And and when someone sees something a hundred times in their Facebook feed, they might start believing it. Um, So it is very, very concerning in terms of the foundations of our democracy, which are people having accurate information and then making an informed uh, decision. Uh, And unfortunately, um, I don't want to just blame it on the president. The president has certainly helped open the Pandora's box, but he is a product of this already existing system of misinformation, Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, that Barack Obama supposedly wasn't born in the U.S., these lies, like a perpetuated um, on the internet Um, and it, it, you know, and now we have with QAnon in particular, the Republican Party is starting to embrace it. The president has praised QAnon. Mike Pence is appearing at a fundraiser hosted by two prominent QAnon people. Ted Cruz and Donald Trump Jr. both tweeted about me and our legislation validating uh, this misinformation, that this was somehow legalizing pedophilia, which is a lie. Uh, Rush Limbaugh spent 10 minutes on it on one of his podcasts. And so we have, you know, we have a Republican incoming member of Congress who is a QAnon adherent. Uh, and so that is deeply concerning to me. And, it, and it, it, it sends a message to elected officials, Oh, look at what happened to Wiener, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want that to happen to me. And so people might think twice before they take on hard legislation.
0: Yeah. Have you heard anything from the governor about whether he'll sign the legislation or might he be scared off?
1: Um, I I haven't heard uh, anything from the governor. Normally, I don't. The governor usually doesn't signal what he's going to do on legislation. And what I will say is that Gavin Newsom is one of the greatest straight allies that the LGBTQ community has ever had. Uh, And he, you know, even though marriage equality is pretty mainstream now, it was not in 2004 when he started those marriage ceremonies in City Hall. And he was badly demonized. And he remember, he was blamed. Gavin Newsom was blamed for George Bush's re-election, right? which is totally bogus. But he was blamed. And then when Barack Obama was out in San Francisco in 2005, he wouldn't be photographed uh, with, with, with Gavin. And so Gavin Newsom understands more than most that when it's time for civil rights and equality to happen, it's time. And you don't make political calculations. So I hope he will sign it.
0: Yeah. Um, the Venn diagram overlap between fifth and mission listeners and QAnon followers probably isn't very big, <laughs> but what would you say to any who might be listening to this?
1: I always ask people, you know, learn the, just learn the facts. Don't, don't just believe what someone posts on social media. And one thing I will say is we have been, cause I've gotten, And ending messages on Instagram and Facebook in particular. And some of them are just heinous and disgusting and we ignore those unless there's a death threat, in which case we report it. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of people who are just angry because they just saw something and believed it. And what we do is we send them accurate information and response and quite a few of them respond and said, Oh my God, that's not what I thought this was. And a number of them have said, you know, I support this legislation. This seems to make a lot of sense, but you know, it's like a, um, it's like a drop in the bucket because yeah. the scale of it is so huge. So I would say to people, whether it's about this or anything else, don't just believe something because someone posted it on Facebook or you saw it 10 times on Facebook. There's a lot of misinformation, and you should look at it for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. You have a, sp- a surprisingly strong challenge in your campaign for re-election from Jackie Fielder, and I was wondering if you're concerned about your chances of winning it all, and why you think she's gotten more traction than she was expected to.
1: Well, well, I feel I feel good about where we are. I mean, I've I've been working hard for this community for a mm-hmm. long time. I didn't just you know show up and run for office. I have a long track record working in the community, then in elected office, and I don't just talk about issues. I deliver over and over again, whether it's on Hard criminal justice reform, or housing legislation, or uh, or, or Im- protecting immigrant communities, or um, expanding clean energy, uh, and so I'm I'm proud of the work that we've done. It's a democracy, and mm-hmm. no one is entitled to like a uncontested re-election. And so, uh, you know, that, that I, I have to make it's up to me to make the case to the voters about why I deserve to be re-elected, and I have no problem. Having someone uh, challenge me. The f- the fact is, we have a uh, real divide in San Francisco between so-called progressives and so-called moderates. I think they're ridiculous labels. Um, and uh, there's always going to be a certain percentage of people who will not vote for me, or won't vote for the mayor, or won't vote for a David Chu or whoever. No matter who's running against them. So okay. it's not surprising at all that I would have a challenger, that's a democracy, it's fine. Um, it's not surprising at all that there would be some people who would uh, rally around uh, that challenger, but uh, we're taking it very seriously. I, don't, mm-hmm. I think, it, I think it's, it would be arrogant to assume, well, I've, I've done good work, so therefore I'm gonna get reelected. Mm-hmm. You have to take it seriously and we are taking it very seriously and we will make the case and we are making the case.
0: Great. Well, you survived the serious questions and now it's time for the lightning round. You answer Uh-oh. some of these questions on my old podcast, SF City Insider, but fifth in mission. <laughs>
1: if I freeze up for anything, you'll, you'll be kind to me. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito on a normal day when there's sun? You know.
1: Well, it, it, it was uh, uh, Zapata at mm-hmm. 18th and Collingwood for about 20 years. And then it, um, last year closed down and... Uh, I was I was in a state of mourning uh, when it when it closed down. Uh, so I'm still in the market. And I've okay. been going around trying out different ones, taking People suggestions.
0: Like yes.
1: <laughs> and I will. And I, I love I do love Gordos. Yeah, uh, Gordos. Yeah, in the Richmond. Um, that's an amazing one too.
0: What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco?
1: Uh, I would say I get Vertigo. I know okay. it's stereotypical, but that's a, that's a, a classic. One. Yeah, I always come back to that one.
0: Back when bars were open about 10 years ago, where was your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink?
1: I, I love uh, 440 in mm-hmm. the Castro. Um, I love the new Midnight Sun. They did a, mm. a great job uh, revamping it. I loved the Elbow Room. Uh, I know it's no longer yeah. there, although it's open as something else uh, uh, now. Um, Churchill in the Castro is really good. Cool. Um, yeah.
0: What was your first concert?
1: My first concert was, um, oh, my God, I remember my first two. I'm trying to remember which one. It was either, oh, God, I'm going to date myself. Don't judge me. It was either, there was Genesis and Billy Joel. Oh, nice. And I'm trying, both in Philadelphia. um, And Genesis was first, I think. Um, And then I saw Billy Joel. So they were right, like, at the same time, in, like, 1987. (laughs) Fun. Long time ago. (laughs) Yes.
0: What was the last book you read?
1: Uh, I just finished um, Gore Dahl's Washington, D.C. Um, he, Gore Dahl has um, this amazing series of historical fiction spanning mm-hmm. American history and a little bit beyond. Uh, and so I'm, I'm almost through all of them. And I, so I just finished Washington, D.C. It's, it's a good book. Cool.
0: I haven't been able to get around the city as much during the pandemic. So how are things going in the Castro?
1: Um, you know, I mean, we're being challenged just like uh, everywhere in terms mm-hmm. of the, the pandemic itself, in terms of str- small businesses struggling. Mm-hmm. But what, what I will say is that um, the Castro itself, like Castro Street, 18th Street, and Market Street, um, have really, the businesses have done an amazing job um, opening up sort of parklet or street mm-hmm. um, uh, expansions. Uh, their businesses, of the bar, the restaurants, and then the bars and restaurants that team up together. Uh, and so when I walk, whether it's down Castro or up 18th or up market now, it, it's actually quite vibrant. There's a ton, a lot of people on the streets, a lot of people enjoying themselves, mm-hmm. eating, uh, drinking. And so I'm very proud of my neighborhood because even though, again, enormous struggles, uh, people are really stepping up and, mm-hmm. and, and there's still such a strong community here.
0: I saw a parklet the other day being painted in rainbow colors on Casto. So that looked cool. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: What is the first thing you'll do when the pandemic is over? What is something you're not allowed to do now that you want to do?
1: Mm, I think a few things. I I definitely want to go inside a bar, inside a crowded bar, and have a beer with my friends and see all sorts of people I know and everyone being happy. So I'll do that. Uh, And then I want to do a huge yoga class with with (laughs) hundreds of people with our mats really close together. Um, it'll get sweaty and all steamy. And that's awesome. (laughs) I'll
0: come (laughs) to that. I love doing yoga. Okay. Uh, last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day?
1: Um, well, because, um, you know, we're often just at home, um, so much of the day now, I, you have to be super intentional about exercise. Mm-hmm. And for me, like if, I, if I'm not exercising, I really start to feel it and I start you know, getting some back issues and it's so easy just to like, you know, sit, sit, sit. Um, and so I have, um, I take every, every night, I take like an hour long walk, whether it was here or in Sacramento when we were in session. Um, and, and it's also a great way to just see different parts of the city. Uh, and then I also, at some point, usually early morning or maybe like midday, for a little lunch break, um, I have online workouts and discovered, you know, different, uh, online workouts that I really like. Yeah. So, um, you have to be a little more intentional because otherwise you can become super sedentary.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, it was really nice to talk to you. Thanks yes. for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Heather. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you to Scott Wiener for joining me today, to Taya Francesca Price for producing this episode, and to you for listening.